Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It, and happy Father's Day. Jeremy White, Bert Deister with you on this uh, Saturday morning. Happy Father's Day. So we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks leading up to it. Today is Father's Day. If you, tomorrow. Right. Tomorrow is Father's right. Day. We observe it today because the store is not open tomorrow. So. Got it. So it's your kinda, last chance to get in exactly. and have a, a good gift for tomorrow. Yeah. So if you are a procrastinator, if you haven't figured it out yet, if you forgot altogether, maybe you're too uh, you know, too enveloped in the U.S. Open. But mm-hmm. if you're watching the Open, you got to remember it's almost always – Father's Day Sunday lines up for that. Yeah, and we'll have startup kits and kegging kits stacked up in the front of the store. So if you're trying to just dip in and grab Dad a quick gift, we have them all lined up at the front. So just pop in. we got plenty to choose from. I always suggest folks go with our five-gallon uh, startup kit. comes with ingredients. It's $99.99. So for $100, you're getting about $125 worth of beer because you're going to get over two cases by the time everything is said and done. And if you keep doing it, not only is it a, you know an enjoyable hobby, but you also get cheap beer from it. So mm-hmm. it begins to pay dividends going forward. Save money, get a hobby, have some fun, drink some beer. You got it. Sounds like a complete day. So for Father's Day, lots of options, lots of things you can do. Um, we haven't. We talked a little bit the last couple of weeks about summer draft supplies, how you guys are loaded with everything you could possibly need from yep. picnic taps to cleaning supplies to repair parts to whole kegerator systems. Yes, and one thing that I didn't see coming that is a big trend this year is beer sheds. And we're getting a lot of people coming in to make these backyard beer sheds or, you know, bar sheds, whatever you want to call them. Um, and we see a lot of people, like we were talking about uh, a week ago or two weeks ago, installing a tap outside the house or outside the garage. Mm-hmm. If you make one of these small little beer sheds and you put a draft system in it, especially if you use a keyser, it's really easy to go right out the collar and right out the side of the shed. And so you could have a beer shed with a nice tap on the outside in your backyard and the kit that you would need to do that is only 219 dollars so if you have the refrigerator you got a shed you want to turn it into a beer shed you know a little over 200 bucks and what comes in what what comes in all that again so you're going to get uh with any of our kits you get a complete kit so for a commercial draft system um you get a co2 tank brand new you get a dual gauge regulator um, you get a shutoff and check valve as well as you get a Sankey tap, all the hoses, clamps, and a complete faucet assembly with shank and tap handle. So really everything you need besides the keg from you know your local beverage center or local brewery to start serving draft at home. If you're looking at home brew, those kits are a little bit more expensive, 200 and I think $30 is where they start because those come with their own keg. So if you're looking to homebrew and get started in draft, all of our draft kits for homebrew come with the keg. So you'll be ready to go as soon as you get home. Hop rhizomes? We still have hop rhizomes, and they're two for one. Um, we have a couple of varieties that have run out, um, but people keep asking, is it too late to plant them? No, it is not. And I would rather you know, plant this year, get half a year uh, growing season, and you still have much more than half a year of growing season left because these aren't going to come down until November, um, then plant fresh next year. You'll get them acclimated to the soil. You'll really get a nice jump on next year. You probably weren't going to get a harvest in the first year anyways, but you definitely should in the second. 
All right. And last week we talked about fast and furious fermentations, how to control your fermentations. Uh, so if you have any questions on that, anything to get to regarding, uh, you know, the, the, the weather, the, the, temp- the temperatures are on the rise. Fermentation can be a little bit more of a dicey scenario. And we went over that a lot last week. Uh, today's show, we're going to get into all you ever needed to know about cream ales, which I want to say is a underrated style. Like I don't see it as much as I think, I think probably one it's, it's a little more popular around here. Yeah. It is definitely the ultimate Western New York dad beer, grandfather beer. Yeah, like, oh, that, that's what I mean. If you ever go on like a beer tour, like let's say you travel somewhere, you know, you'll see a million IPAs and, and mm-hmm. some stouts and porters and ambers and everything. I never see cream ales anywhere else really. Rusty Nickel has a cream ale, but it's a little bit deceiving. It's this imperial cream ale. So oh. something like 8%. That sounds I, uh, or tasty. More. Yeah, it is very, very tasty. Um, but doesn't line up with the classic green can that we're all used to. Right. But there's a lot of different cream ales out there. And I think you're seeing a little bit of a resurgence in them. Um, because I think brewers are, small-scale breweries are trying to kind of get back to serving sessionable beers as well. If we're being, I mean, we can just flat out say it. Is, is it a Western New York staple because of Jenny? Yeah, and yeah, like, no, no, it's, they, it's, they it's, really, I don't, they didn't pioneer the the style, but I mean, or, or did uh, they? You want to see? Well, it, it, let's, we'll kind of go into the history. It? They popularized it here. Okay. Um, so what you looked at what's happening at the time is the beer market was dominated by Mid Atlantic breweries and you know breweries along the Mississippi. So we're looking at you know the big you know Anheuser Busch and breweries like that. Smaller breweries that um, didn't have as large tanks and required faster turnover, so they were used to using ale yeast, um, wanted to compete in the light beer scene with these large brewing companies. Um, and so what these brewing companies did, and, and you really do have to look as Genesee is really the kind of, we'll say, pioneer in this, is they took a light lager recipe. So usually had six-row barley, some adjuncts, corn, Um, very little hopping, but still balanced to the beer, Um, and they use a regular ale yeast on it because it will turn over faster, you don't have to maintain a cold temperature, and you don't have to do any cold storage. So it allowed them to produce a light in color, light in flavor, refreshing beer um, that could compete with the large-scale breweries that were, some of them using ale yeast and calling it a lager, but a few, most of them were using actual lager yeast. Mm-hmm. But no, it, I think it would be safe to say that Jenny is the uh, kind of p- pioneer in this. Although when you look at like the recipe, if you replace the corn with a little bit of oats and you replace the, you know, six row with a little bit of marisot or you replace the, you know, American ale yeast with English ale yeast and you replace, you know, uh, the, you know, Cascade or really any hop that's appropriate for a cream ale with like East Kent Golding and all of a sudden you have an English bitter. Do the same thing, you know, replace the adjuncts with malt, put in German hops, and you have a German alt. So at the same time, I think the cream ale was kind of an inevitability here. Because in just about every other beer country, you see a kind of light, sessionable ale that kind of is prevalent uh, regionally uh, compared to big lagers. And so I think it was really an inevitability that eventually... Um, you were going to start to see these sessionable ales start to move in the market. Again, they're, they're a little bit less time to brew or a lot less time, um, about the same cost on ingredients, a little more flavor, quicker turnover. Um, and so there was an advantage to brewing them. Was there any, I mean, it'd be tough to really know this, but a lot of times 
you know, when we've talked about the history of a beer, it's because of the water or it's because of laws passed at the time. Is there any sort of, I want to say like the etymology of, of why Jenny and why the cream ale kind of separated from that? Um, I mean, locality. You know what I mean? You can see other ales that were around, like Iroquois and stuff like that here. Um, but I think there was, there was some drive to locality. You know what I mean? You have less cost of transportation, fresher beer. Um, but again, I think it was also just a market-driven economy. A large portion of the uh, economy started to go to lighter and lighter beers. And these smaller, scaring brewing companies, if they wanted to survive, had to keep up. Mm-hmm. And so these are the beers that they ended up producing. Very, well, I mean, they're delicious. They're, they're, they're delicious. highly drinkable. Yes, and you should be making them if you're not already. Yeah, and the alcohol, the, the ABV is also nice too. Like, you know, I sometimes I I think back to what it was like to buy beer when it was, beer was pretty standard, 5%. And now, I don't know, the average beer. I, yeah, if you're picking up a six-pack to go share at a friend's house, you got to check that ABV. Yeah. And I have Googled a couple of times, is there a minimum ABV before they have to mention it? Because it's something that I think you want to see now. If I'm yeah. picking up a pale ale or an IPA and I'm not drinking it at home, I want to make sure that that's, you know, six and a half, five percent. I don't want to end up bringing over to a buddy's like a nine percent boozer. Um, you know, hey, it was a great night. I'm leaving you with four beers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, on cream ales, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I've never thought of them this way. You know, you're, you're talking about them potentially as like a good bridge beer for a non-craft beer lover. Usually I think about pale ales and mild IPAs, but a cream ale is actually a, a really good example of a I think it's a, a little bit safer. It's a very small jump. Yes, yes. Especially because you have a little bit of, we'll say, variation, a little bit of, you know, the freestyle you can do with the recipe. Because any hop profile... And any really yeast profile, besides anything that gets really uh, kind of, you know, Central European to like Belgian uh, esters, is appropriate. So you could use English ale yeast, give it a nice, you know, kind of creamy finish. You could use American hops in both the, you know, the bitter and a tiny bit in the finish to give it just a little touch of these aromas and flavors. And I think it's always better if you're trying to get somebody into new flavors to give them just a little bit of a touch instead of overwhelming them. Uh, you can imagine doing the same with trying to get somebody into hot sauce or peppers. You know what I mean? You'd want to start them off light, let them build up a little bit of tolerance. And I think anybody who drinks, you know, almost exclusively IPAs sees the kind of effects of this at the other end. If you're only drinking all strong beers, you tend to get burned. If you're not drinking very strong beers, and you're given one, you get burned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while, you know, big IPA drinkers can recognize the more of these big IPAs you drink, and especially over the course of a night, the, the more of your taste you begin to lose. Um, and to a light beer drinker, you know, all of a sudden getting something that has really strong or dominating um, flavor profiles can really be offsetting. And when you look at, like, even like a pale ale, that is still... While the ABV is about the same, the color could be about the same, the IBUs are usually a bit more, and the hops are really forefronted in the flavor. They're not, well, I mean, again, this is a little bit of section of debate of whether, you know, you know malt versus hops in a pale ale, um, you know, should be balanced or whether hops should dominate. But I think most commercial examples, hops dominate. And again, if you're sensitive to this, it can be a burden for you. Right. Yeah. So 
the ingredients are fairly standard if you're making a uh, a cream ale. Yeah, and so if you're looking at it, usually traditionally six row barley was used, and six row barley with a combination of flake corn to kind of lighten the color and kind of get really good extraction would kind of have some side effects. So you're going to get a nice soft and fruity malt profile um, with a little bit of corn flavor in the background, but the six row would also kind of have some residual DMF or dimethyl sulfate. Um, Brewers uh, recognize this as a flaw. If you underboil your beer, so if you don't come up to a full rolling boil, the DMS will not escape the liquid. If you put a cover on your pot and the condensation catches on the cover and drips back into the pot, you can end up with a DMS in your beer. Um, But in cream ale, it can be considered part of the style. Now, that doesn't mean you want to underboil your cream ale. If you're using six row, you'll get a little touch of it. And that's all you want is a little touch. That's all you may want. Again, it doesn't have to have the DMS in there, but if it's there, it's appropriate. Now, using six row barley, if you're a single infusion brewer, is kind of just a no-no. Um, the six row barley um, will not kind of balance out to the right pH and, and won't really... Uh, you won't really capitalize on all of its extract potential if you just single infusion mash it at 150 degrees. You also end up with a very cloudy beer. So if you want to use the six-row bar- barley, you're either going to have to do a decoction, which I wouldn't recommend for a cream ale because it's going to give you a Maillard flavor and it's going to darken it up and kind of start turning it more into a Bach or an Alt. Um, and at the same time... Um, trying to keep this beer light you're trying to keep the flavors balanced um if you don't feel comfortable doing a step mash if you don't have a louder ton with a false bottom or a rim system or herms i would suggest just using a two row base barley you know whatever light barley um you're familiar with or whichever is your favorite how much how much of a difference would you notice between the two and the six it would just have that subtle kind of corn or vegetable like flavor um there's a couple commercial breweries that still use a lot of six row. The one that I always think of is Coors. Um, has predominantly, I believe, a six row barley, and it has a little bit of this. Um, I don't know if I'm embarrassed. I'm trying to think about Coors here, and I have to admit, it's been a while uh, yeah. since I've had one. Yeah. Thank you, gas stations, for carrying so much else now. I was yeah. able to pick up a six pack of Hayburner at a reasonable price at a kind of quiet gas station on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. So your choices have gone, you know, up yeah. in the fast few for years. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, that's the kind of flavor you're talking about. It's very subtle. Again, it's not in your face like you would if you had an underboil or if you covered a boil. It's just going to be a hint, and it's going to be this little bit of sweet or corn flavor. All right. So if you decide to use a six-row, though, you're going to have to take You're going to have to do steps. the protein rest. So you're going to mash in at about 120 degrees. You're going to hold that for about 15 to 20 minutes and then slowly come up to your regular mash temperature. Now, the actual guidelines of brewing one of these, mm-hmm. six versus two, let's say if someone... Were, I Personally, if I'm doing one at home, I'm not going to use six row. It's not a flavor that I'm 
particularly fond of. I'm not against it. Um, but there's m- many other light-based malts I would rather use. I'd rather use Marisot or uh, any of the American, like, two-row, um, just pale malts or base malts. Or even some of the kind of uh, Western European Pilsners, like the, the Danish Pilsner or the Belgian Pilsner, which really don't have a lot of kind of husky or DMS qualities like their uh, Eastern European counterparts. These are a little more modified, and they convert much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I personally would use a two-row base. And I actually don't use all corn for adjunct usually. Sometimes I put a little bit of corn. Sometimes I like a little bit of uh, malted oats. So I don't get the haziness like you would with flaked oats. And I don't get the chewiness. But you still get lighter color, a little bit thinner-bodied beer. Um, and it's kind of a nice solution and kind of keeps the corn out of the recipe. Not that I'm against the corn. I just prefer the oats. Is it tougher for a cream ale? You know, we've talked a lot about um, if you're going to add flavors, if you're going to get creative, that in a stout, you really can't mess it up because, or in like a deep, dark imperial stout, like all that flavor just kind of piles in on each other and it's dark and it's great. Or like an imperial IPA where you hit the sensory threshold. Right. Right. Yeah. But in a cream ale, if I want to make like a honey cream ale or a cherry cream ale or whatever, orange cream ale. It's a great way to add in hints. When you have a light-bodied beer like this where everything is in balance, if you add a, you know, fifth of a pound of honey malt, it will come through. And if you can use very little bits, especially malts or little bits of flavor like, you know, orange or strawberry or something like that, um, I think in some ways it's actually – a little bit easier. Like trying to imagine balanced blueberry uh, in a cream ale was trying to get blueberry to come through on a big IPA but not overpower, yeah. you know, your finishing hops. You're going to be adding a lot of blueberry, and then all of a sudden there's going to be a point where it comes kind of sickly sweet. Um, with the cream ale, because it's so delicate, when you add, um, you know, some type of flavoring, uh, like that, it tends to come through and you kind of get these nice delicate aromas. And I always tell people with any spices or any any nude ingredient, um, a little touch or a hint is always going to be good. Um, and you can always add a little bit more of the next recipe. But if you overpower it, um, you know, that's going to be one beer you have trouble uh, getting through. It's just not what you expected. It's right. not what you were looking for. But it... it it's not the same way. It's not touchy in the same way where you're little, it can quickly overpower. It can. It can. And you, I always recommend adding stuff to taste, looking for recommendations, and then starting at the low end. So if I was saying wanted to make an orange uh, cream ale, right? So you're looking, if you're doing an orange and cream, you're either going to have maltodextrin, lactose, uh, and then you're going to have orange, either orange flavoring or orange peel in the boil. Um, I would try to get as many recipes as I could. Um, I would look for the ones that had the most similar, you know, base beer recipe. So I'd be looking for other orange and cream cream ales. Um, I'd probably try a commercial sample. So I'd be headed down to Rusty Nickel, their Imperial Orange and Cream. <laughs> um, and then I would uh, try to do it to taste. And I would start with the lowest amount on all those recipes. So if I had recipes with the, like, say, orange peel ranging from a half an ounce to two ounces, I'll start with the half an ounce on the first time through. Um, and when it comes to, like, adding the flavorings, I really prefer, or the maltodextrin or the lactose, to add it at bottling time. So to take some, pasteurize it, add it, and then try it out of the bottling bucket. 
and mm-hmm. kind of see where my flavors are going. Now the beer is going to change over time as it sits in the bottle or it sits in the cat. It's going to get a little bit drier. It's going to get a little crisper. The aromatics should come through a little bit more. Um, and you can always add a little bit more. Or if you take good notes, add more for some next time. All right. Let's get a break in. We've, we've cranked out 20 minutes here just on cream ale, so we don't want a bunch of time left. Just Brew It. Niagara Traditions Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Uh, prep for Father's Day. Get ready. Brew a cream ale. If you don't know how to brew a cream ale, then you know, buy the stuff and do it with that. Back on the other side here on Nog Traditions, Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply, 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Wrapping up our uh, chat on cream ales today. So requirements, like what your cream ale should look like. This is your checklist. So we're coming around here. It needs to be light in color. Um, and I think to separate it from a you know Pilsner or something like that, you need to have some adjunct malts in there. So if it's not corn, um, oats, uh, malted wheat, or something like that. But however, if you were going to enter this into competition, You'd want six-row barley, and you'd want corn. Those are the classics. That's what you're going to see. Um, a lot of commercial beers and some recipes don't necessarily mash the corn. They may add dextrose powder, so corn sugar, after the boil. and It'll make your mash a little bit easier and your efficiency is a little bit higher. Um, but either way, you're going to need some adjuncts, and you're going to need um, some light body. Now, the other thing is you're going to need some IBUs, you know, 15 to 20 IBUs, but not... A lot. You don't want to turn this into a pale ale. It's a very kind of light-bodied beer, so you don't want to overdo it. You know, four HBUs is going to be plenty to bitter. Uh, And then ale yeast. Ale yeast, I think, is the kind of room for there's the most uh, kind of house interpretation. I think I probably tend to use 1318 London Mm -hmm. uh, a lot or 1099 Whipbread. So not like the classic cream ale yeast. A lot of people actually use two to three yeast. You can take two to three uh, yeast and put them in there uh, and kind of see what the you know effect you get. Usually a little bit cleaner, a little bit drier. Uh, White Labs offers a cream ale blend um, that we have in stock. So if you want to use that, that's two or three yeasts ready to go in a pre-pitch pack. Um, and then the last thing is you should share it with dad and your neighbors and all your non-micro drinking beer friends on hop bill is this wide open because you're going to use so wide open and you're going to use so little um you know definitely under an ounce you know four aus to bitter maybe a quarter of an ounce to finish um and that's really going to be it uh i would say pick a favorite hop if you want to go a little more traditional you're going to go american or german but about anything's appropriate and when we did this last time i made a cream ale i made it with comet Partially because I had three quarters of an ounce of Comet left over, so it was a great way to use the Comet and get a great sessionable beer out of it as well. 
All right. Everything you ever needed to know about making a cream ale. For um, the statistics, like if you're doing final gravity, finishing gravity, uh, original gravity, is there a pretty specific range there that you're, you're aiming to hit most times? Uh, 40 to 55 points, and uh, finishing you want to keep it under 12. Sometimes you see these pretty dry. You can see them as dry as your commercial, you know, macro lagers. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also see them uh, pretty sweet up around that 12 points, which you're thinking 12 points, that could be an IPA or a pale ale finishing gravity. Um, so they, there is, again, some room for kind of interpretation of what you want your cream ale to be. Um, but it's definitely a beer to be shared. And, again, convert some of your macro loving friends into micro loving friends very good so before we go father's day father's tomorrow day. you yep. are uh you you, till 4 p.m to get into niagara tradition get a startup kit if you want you have all weekend to go online and get them a gift certificate if you wait to the very last minute and again, let's let's say you're uh you're a big baller you got you got the money to spend grandfather for your father that's a good idea i mean if you wanted to i still push towards the kegging system yeah a basic stainless steel pot, wart chiller, kegging system. Um, especially getting into the hobby if they're just starting out, um, get them the right stuff, but get them the simple stuff, and they can build from there. Um, if they've been pushing for a grandfather, grab them a grandfather. But think of something that you can do to save them time. Here, kegging I- system, wart chiller, if they don't have one of those, um, they don't need anything else to use a wart chiller. They don't need any other equipment to use a kegging system. It's not like a pump where you're going to need to buy other stuff or you really need to be an all-grain brewer or a counterflow chiller where, you, again, you have to have the pump um, and uh, a really good inline thermometer. Um, if you get them a wart chiller, if you get them a kegging system, uh, that's going to save them a lot of time every beer. Uh, and... Yeah, it's parts that they won't replace. Something that they'll keep using as long as they use a hobby. Yeah, and I'll raise my hand for if your father is already a brewer and you don't know what to get him and he doesn't have a Fermonster, the Fermonster. That's Saving a nice cheap time. gift, 30 bucks. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's the other thing about fermenters. From two brewers, you cannot have – well, maybe you could have too many fermenters. But in my opinion, you cannot have enough fermenters Yeah. Um, because I am slowly replacing them. I, I am slowly – ruining them by, you know, stacking stuff on top of them, you know, using them to clean up a mess in a, a pinch or, you know, you know, sort out gardening soil. And then, oops, that's not a fermenter anymore. Um, but I've been slowly replacing my buckets. And things like the Chapman stainless steel fermenters, which are a bit more expensive, but the Fermonsters, I think I actually like using my Fermonster a lot more than my stainless steel. Yep fermenters you well, get to watch the whole fermentation it's a complete seal has nice graduated markers and like i said if you're a brewer you're going to have more than one fermenter it's kind of amazing it took this long to get the fermonster out like they, they would have a, such a there's there so a, many different ways it's convenient how come it took so was, long um well vintage shop is uh they've been around for a while they took uh their time and uh kind of patience getting to it uh they didn't use uh a recycled mold they made their old mold. So making the, the the bottle is not that hard, but making the vacuum molds for the bottle yeah. is the tough part. Now, there were was a few uh, companies that tried to rebrand either like bulk mayonnaise jars or pickles jars or uh, pharmaceutical hoppers uh, as f- fermenters. They didn't really work out so well. The Fermonster was designed from the beginning to be a fermenter, and it works great. All right. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there in uh, in the land, in the in the land of home brewing. That yeah. does it for us today.
And if your kids didn't get you a cream ale for Father's Day, you better go brew yourself. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.